All right, welcome in to the second installment of the call third podcast right here on Mini Mike's Network and also A2S Network. According to sources, you can go to SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, just type in A2S Network or according to sources and you'll be able to see all of our archive podcasts. We thank you guys for supporting the initial podcast, the launch podcast. We had the bigs. We had uh, Barbara Chair Scott from Barber Chair Network. And uh, great conversation about the White Sox offseason, the Cubs offseason, which took another slight left turn. We'll get to it with our special guest, Russ Dorsey from the Chicago Sun-Times. Cubs beat reporter is going to be joining us shortly. But before we get to that, as once again, we thank, all, thank you guys for all your support. And I want you guys to know that coming up, we're going to have a lot of things going into spring training. We're going to be traveling of course, with myself working at ESPN 1000, we're going to be heavy Sox probably because the White Sox are now on the flagship team for that station. But we'll get into it and we'll be letting you guys know other content providers we're going to have coming on Mini Mike's network in the future. So I'm excited about our special guests. I definitely want to talk baseball with them. We're definitely going to go bulk step off at the end. And I want to get into some Mac cheese conversation with this guy because, you know, we just came out of the holiday season and Mac cheese is right at the forefront right there on the dinner table. So I want to talk about what makes it special. Is it about the noodles? Is it about the cheese you use? We'll get into that. But before we do that and bring on our special guest, Jed Hoyer, new president of operations of replacing Theo Epstein, did meet with the media and he talked about the expectations for this team and you know after constantly making moves for six years about the present it was time for this team to look to the future you know that we're coming to the end of uh, of this group of players a, a wildly franchise successful franchise changing run with this group of players we're coming to the end of that of that run and so as we come to the end of that um it's really important to, to think about you know, the future. I think there are um, plenty of examples of, of teams that were able to have a, you know, a, a small reset or to make a move in, in that direction that it really helped them. There's no question when you look at this return, you're going to say it's young and there's risk involved. And I think that's a fair thing to say, but you also can say like, these are four really talented young players, um, you know, given where they're drafted, given the amount of money um, that they signed for uh, and kind of where they ranked, you know, in their, in the, in their countries. Like these are, these are four really talented kids that I can't wait to turn over to high performance. I can't wait to turn over to our player development guy. In trading you Darvish to the San Diego Padres, the Chicago Cubs did receive four prospects. They're about 19, 20 years old. So you might be looking at them being two to three years away from being on the major league roster. They also received starting pitcher Zach Davies, who is more of a control pitcher, velocity somewhere between 86 to 89, very much Cal Hendricks-like. So uh, a far contrast to what you saw from you, Darvish, who had turned into one of the top five starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. If you go back to the end of 2019 and what he was able to do in a truncated season last year, you, Darvish, had become dominant in San Diego along with the addition of Blake Snell and another trade from the Tampa Bay Rays. They are putting together a formidable starting pitching rotation. They might be short on the back end uh, in that bullpen, but it, to make all of those moves, 
And you know the uh, the GIF where you have Birdman behind the doors and he's rubbing his hands like this. That's the Dodgers. Like the Padres made all of those moves and the Dodgers are still behind the door like, yeah, we still got this guap, ready to spend our free agency. They've been mentioned with Nolan Arenado possibly making a move to get him to replace Justin Turner. If that happens, hey, we need to call a baseball Congress. Like, hold on now. You just won the World Series. You got Mookie Betts and you're trying to get Nolan Arenado. We have to stop. Like the way the NBA stopped Chris Paul from lining up with Kobe Bryant and the Lakers, we might have to hold a baseball MLB Congress to say, whoa, this cannot happen. But that, and then of course, they have a longevity of prospects. They've long been linked to the uh, Latin countries, South American countries, bringing those players in. And they always have a pipeline. They constantly have somebody battling for rookie of the year in the National League. So that beast that is the Los Angeles Dodgers is still in front of the San Diego Padres. But I salute them for being aggressive and putting all that chips into the table. Another thing Jed Horry got to before we bring in Russell Dorsey, and he was talking about moving forward, right? We're talking about Theo Epstein comes in October 2011. He leaves Boston. Come in from 2012 to 2020. We're talking about five playoff appearances, four consecutive years of making it to the playoffs, and that one World Series in 2016. And I'm going to ask Russell what he think was the turning point because I think uh, one of the shocking things in this run for the Chicago Cubs was the fact that Milwaukee really jumped up in that division. I don't think anybody expected that, but we'll talk to Russell about that. But with the U Darvis trade, is there anybody else that could possibly be on the move for the Chicago Cubs? Jed Hoyer touched on that just a little bit. I think we're going to have a really competitive team next year. Um, I think Zach Davies is an excellent major league pitcher. He's fifth in the, you know, fifth in ERA in the national league last year, you know, for the last five years, he's been, He's been really good. Um, we have a lot of really good players, but you know, do we need to make some moves um, with the future in mind after six years of every single move being directed on the present? Yes. The reports yesterday, um, <laughs> fictional, you know, I mean, there's no other way to say it. Um, so, I mean, the answer is, you know, listen, we've, we like, we have really good players and, and I'm not in the business of, of talking about untouchables. I think that's a mistake. Um, but yeah, listen, I think Wilson Contreras is, like I said, I think he's one of the top handful of catchers in baseball. We, we control him for, for two more years. And, you know, I think that uh, catching is a, is a strength of this team as a result of having him on the roster. That right there was courtesy of MLB.com. With him mentioning Wilson Contreras and the rumors of him also being moved, they have a Maya down in the minors. Highly touted prospect. Victor Caratini goes with you, Darvish. That's his personal catcher. You know, the Padres definitely were going to try and get him to make you, Darvish, comfortable as he comes over to the National League West, which, in my opinion, is highly, more highly competitive than the National League Central. But let's go ahead and talk about everything that is Chicago Cubs with our special guest as we bring in Russell Dorsey. He is the Chicago Cubs beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. And let me tell you something else about this guy. Russ, let me tell you, I'm jealous of your tie game, bro. I saw you on MLB Network. <laughs> I beat your tie game, bro. I love a tie. love a good tie game. So now, are you a tie guy? First of all, I appreciate you having me on. Second of all, I haven't been able – you know, I'm a dresser, man. Like, that's that's what I do. 
And, and so I, I haven't been able to go nowhere. I haven't been able to to really step out like that. So if on my first time on MLB Network, you know I was going to come correct. You, you know what I'm saying? I to, yeah, I had to represent the city. had to represent the community. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't get on MLB Network like that. So right, right. I sure if I was on there, I came correct. And when I saw the host pointed out, I was like, yep, he's represented. He's representing I'm, right. Man, I'm trying. I'm trying. The so little necktie or bow tie for you? Necktie. Oh, necktie. And, it, and it's, it's when you can, I like doing some different things where you, you, you if you're, you're going to go white shirt like I had on that day, you go pattern tie and mm -hmm. then you accent it with the pocket square. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a solid pocket square. You can you can get flashy with the pocket square, you know what I'm saying? And then add a little flair there. So it's, it's some things you tricks of the trade you learn along the way. Yo, we were just laughing at somebody on NBA TV today that put a polka dot shirt with a polka dot tie. And me and my brother were like, bruh, nah. See, I, I love bold and polka dot is bold. If you're gonna do polka dot shirt, you mm -hmm. probably have to go solid tie. Absolutely, you have to help the eye because it's it's a lot going on once you got polka right. dot with polka dot. So if you go pink polka dot shirt with black or or or, or a, a dark pink tie, you you're doing it. You're doing it. All right, let's get into the Chicago Cubs. You uh, you were able to listen in the Zoom press conference with Jed Hoyer yesterday. And, you know, you're my inspiration for the title of this podcast because, you know, I saw that your favorite scripture is my favorite scripture as well. So we're going to entitle this podcast Expected In, right? That's how we're going to entitle it today. So Theo Epstein comes over from Boston and he gives everything that I talked about. Five playoff appearances, four consecutive was that from 2015 to 2018 and missed the playoffs 2019 and 2020 and then they make it back in 2020. Great prospects, great moves to start everything, bringing over Jake Arrieta, getting Anthony Rizzo and then signing Lester, which kind of put a stamp on the team and the rebuild and to let everybody in Major League Baseball know, hey, we're here. We're ready to compete. With everything that happened, and you look back in retrospect, do you think they got the expected end from everything that they put in? It all goes, it's, it's one moment represents everything they did from the time that they got here in 2012 to the time uh, Theo sat down and Jed stepped up. And that's this. They won the World Series in 2016. Fact. So no matter what people feel right now and the money that they're not they're not spending and the things that you don't think they're doing they reached the ultimate goal in winning the world series now did they disappoint and not win as many as a lot of us thought they would win because of the the players that they put in place and how they did it and how young those guys were when they won yeah a lot of us expected them to be a lot more competitive over this stretch than they ended up being but they reached the goal. A lot of teams would love to to reach reach the World Series, let alone win it, and to reach the playoffs in five of the last six years. You know, that's salute to them for that because there's a lot of teams that aren't able to have that on their resume for two seasons in a row, let alone five or six seasons. So you think about that. Should Cubs fans take a look at the moves that are being made and be grateful 
for that championship and say we still have a very competitive team in a somewhat weaker division in the National League, the National League Central, to where you wrote about it recently, 86 to 90 wins might win a division. So if you take away you Darvish and possibly Chris Bryant, who might be on the move as well before the season starts, as Jed Hoyer says, he expects this team to be very competitive. And if you listen to Ross, Grandpa Rossi, manager of the Chicago Cubs in a recent interview, he said, look, rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. I'm not talking about it. We're trying to win a championship. And that's my message to this team. So should that same excitement still exist within the fan base? Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I understand the frustrations of Cubs fans have. We, it's it's a lot of uh, cold water got dumped on the fan base when they traded you Darvish the other day. Like when you see your, your best starting pitcher get traded for basically salary cap or salary relief, you're going to feel some type of way. Like, if you don't see McKenzie Gore come back in that deal, you're going to feel some type of way. If you don't see Luis Capistano come back in that deal, you're going to feel some type of way. If you don't get Jake Cronenworth back in that deal, you're going to feel some type of way. And so you see these four young kids that they got in return who could end up being really good players and Cubs fans won't remember this day. Yeah, it's, it's going to sting right now. And if you look at the situation that the Cubs put themselves in financially, look, they, they hadn't been winning. That's the guy's honest truth. Like, they had spent money. They had been in the top five in salary the last four seasons. They were over the luxury tax the last two seasons, paid the repeater penalty of 12%. Uh, so they have been spending a lot of money to get knocked out last, uh, last playoffs by a team that had the fourth lowest payroll in all of baseball. So to what end? At what point? At, and just from a baseball and business sense, why would you continue to spend that type of money if you're just gonna get bounced in the first round, like that doesn't make much sense. So, you it was a priority. I reported it. Others have reported it. A priority from there to get under the luxury tax, to get under the collective bargaining threshold. Now that they've done that for the first time in years, they have breathing room. They can make some moves here in the off season. Whereas the last two off seasons, they haven't been able to do anything. Like they signed one major league contract last off season. That was Jeremy Jeffers, and it worked out. But the fact that they couldn't make some other moves, you saw how that hurt them, you know, this season. They didn't have quite the depth that they've had in the past. They weren't able to go, you know, sign some guys that might have helped them complement the roster. So now what do you do with the, the money that you say by not having Kyle Schwarber? The the big chunk that you needed to get rid of in Darvish to stay under the cap now, you can – or not, but like to stay under the threshold, you can do a lot of different things. Now they probably, they're I'm not even going to say probably, they won't be spending all of that money right now. So Cubs fans can get out of their mind, hey, they're going to go get Trevor Bauer, or they're going to go get George Springer. They're going to do some things to, to try to complement the roster and compete. Because honestly, as crazy as it is, as crazy as it sounds today, as Cubs fans sit and say, we just gave up our best starting pitcher, how are we going to compete? The NL Central is trash. And I say that with all due respect because I'm not going out there playing. But, like, compared to the National League West, it just yeah. got two starting pitchers, you know, in the game over there in San Diego now to go along with the World Series champion Dodgers and the Arizona Diamondbacks that are still a really good team. That, that division is stacked. 
The NL Central, I think 85 wins, maybe 84, will win that division. Like, there's no team, in, if you're the Cubs, no team in that division scares you. The only team that you are partway concerned about might be the St. Louis Cardinals. And they have, they, you know, Paul Goldschmidt is not getting any younger. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they have some depth issues in their, in their starting rotation. Up in Milwaukee, I love Christian Yelich as much as anybody, but he can't play all nine positions. You know what I'm saying? Brandon Woodruff is great, but what else are you going to do in your rotation? So, yeah. and, and the Pirates just traded maybe their best player to the Washington Nationals and Josh Bell. So, the, the division's not going anywhere. Right. So, it's there for the taking. Nobody just nobody wants to take it. So, I think they can do some things. They can complement the roster, even if they trade Chris Bryant or if they don't trade Chris Bryant. They trade Wilson Contreras. They don't trade Wilson Contreras. They're going to be able to compete. They can win 80. 384 games, whether or not they trade anybody else. Like if as it sits right now, could they win 86 games? Yes. If they traded Kyle, uh, Chris Bryant, could they win 84, 85 games? Yeah, probably. If they're able to do some other things in free agency because they free up some of that money, sure. But I, I, I understand the frustrations. I just want people to. It's one of those things where the you you just rip the bandaid off, so that hurts right now. But I think when you we look back at February 1st and they're getting ready to go to, to Mesa for spring training and you look at some of the moves that they make, because this offseason is moving at an all-time slow rate, I honestly think the free agent market is going to come back to the Cubs and they're going to be able to get some pretty good deals on guys because the market is slow and maybe get a guy or two that they didn't think they would be able to afford, get that guy and put that guy into the roster. So there are going to be some things that, that happen over the next couple of months with guys coming in, maybe some trades here or there. But if they're able if, – if I tell I tell Cub fans this. If on February 1st you go into spring training and they haven't made any moves, you have a right to be upset because right. that's not something that you want to be competitive. But if they come back on February 1st and they've done some things to sh- like to shore up the roster, to shore up the lineup, to shore up you know, the rotation – you say, okay, I understand what they're doing. You can't keep everybody forever. That's that's sports. You can't keep every player forever. Guys get old, guys get bad. You have to turn the roster over. That's what they're doing this year. But you can still be a team that can potentially make the playoffs and do that. That's what they're doing right now. You talked about this, and I want to hop into it right now because I was going to save it towards the end of our conversation. Being Bulls fans here in Chicago, we can, like, we know what uh, April 28th, 2012 means for us. Like, we do. That's the day Derek tore his ACL. That do. I swear the entire city just went silent. They grown me in the Yeah. <laughs> so, can you liken the injuries and what has happened to Chris Bryant and what he meant and what he signaled in the rebuild can you liken that to what kind of happened with Derrick Rose and what we thought was going to be coming down the road for that Bulls team and the Bulls organization? You got the world championship, but if Chris Bryant continues to be MVP Chris Bryant and continues to ascend, don't you think there are more championships on the north side? Like That's the Bulls question. never got one. Good question. I, I think if if Derek tears it the next year and they win in 12, 
I think you can make that comparison. Okay, okay. The problem is the Bulls didn't win. Right, right, right. right. So it, it's more – it's hard to compare because the Cubs, Cubs reached the ultimate goal. Right. You know what I'm saying? So as, as bad as it would be if Chris Pete in 2018 – which I don't think he did. I think just a lot of things have happened to him since. Yeah, I, I don't think – I think as a Cubs fan, you can be disappointed with the trajectory, but you can't be upset because that guy helps you reach the ultimate goal. Right. And I think with Derek, there's there's other things with Derek that still, even to this day, a decade, almost a decade later, I don't think people really understand why that guy is important in the history of the city. Why he's an icon. Yeah. What else it's just it's he means so much to this city and from from high school to even in his grade school days and and i think for me i grew up when derek was at Simeon, and i remember going to the high school games when i was in like sixth seventh grade seventh eighth grade yeah and i'm like this dude is going to be crazy in the nba and like it's for me like a lot of people had when when kg was uh Going to yeah, school here, yeah. Or, or, or Isaiah was going to school here, yeah. And so those guys just—it's just a different feeling that you have with those guys. So regardless of what Derek's career ends up being, regardless if he goes to the Hall of Fame or not, regardless of if if the Bulls ever retire his number, he holds a spot in the hearts of people in this city that I don't know will ever be replicated. Yeah, you know. Uh, but to get back to the Chris Bryant comparison, because they reached that goal of winning, while you don't like how it ended, you can't say that you didn't benefit from that guy's peak because you won. The, you, you got the ultimate goal. The guy won an MVP, Rookie of the Year. Like his his five year span, if that's if that's his peak, was crazy. He went Golden Spikes winner, best player in college baseball. To minor league player of the year, his first year, you know, playing pro ball. Uh, to rookie of the year, his first year in, in the big leagues. To yeah. his second year in the big leagues, won an MVP and World Series. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> like no. that, if we're just going off of that, that ends in Hall of Famer. Most people would say, man, it might be too much too soon. Yeah, man, we could insert this right here. It's amazing to me. There are like anomalies in sports because it's not supposed to happen like that, right? Not at all. It's not supposed to happen like it happened for Derek Jeter. It's not supposed to happen like it happened for Wayne Gretzky. It's not supposed to happen like it happened for Tom Brady. It's not supposed to happen like it happened for Kobe Bryant. Like these superstars are supposed to struggle for five, six, seven years before they reach the mountaintop. Like, the players that are superstars that get to come in to the right organization with the great head coach and another superstar that can help them win as they ascend to their peak. So they add to their resume, like they're anomalies. And for me, I just feel like Derrick Rose and, and Chris Bryant, if they, if neither one of them got hurt, the city of Chicago from a sports landscape possibly might've had, the two best players in the prospective sports at the same time, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, I, I think with Derek, man, it's and again, I think the equal thing. Before you say that, I think mm -hmm. what makes the Chris Bryant thing similar to me, 
I always thought the way the media started to turn on him, and I think he added to that with some of his comments, you know, with frustration about his injuries and some of the things he said. But I just felt like it got to a point where, all right, we're being petty. Like we can pinpoint why his production has taken this drop. It's not like he's out boozing it up or just being an idiot or not working or not putting in the work. We know he's been injured. Like, you know why Derek's play has tailed off a little bit. We saw the knee injuries. So it's like now we're just being petty because we can. Because if they hadn't gotten injured, whatever it is we're being petty about, we probably would leave it alone just because of their greatness. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Like, I think people, they don't, I don't think people talk, we don't talk about a lot the impact him getting hit in the face had on him. Facts. Like that was, that's something that I look back as, at as a moment where it's like, that changed him. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have that to compare it to something when Giancarlo Stan got hit in the face when his last, one of his last years in Miami. Right. It took him probably two years to get back to the player he ended up being. Now he went on to win an MVP, but when he got hit in the face, like, if, if you're a player that has to stand in that box every day and your life flashes before your eyes like that, you you start thinking about everything like, man, I, my wife's still out there. My kids, they might not have a dad. I might not be able to see again. Like, I, I could be out right here on the ground. And then it's like, man, I got to get back in here. And I got people are expecting me to, to be this MVP caliber player like I was where – I can't come out and say that I'm scared to get back in the box, but I'm scared to get back in the box. Like, there's so many different things that happen. And so when Chris got hit in, in the face, they were already, you know, he had that shoulder in that same season. Um, and so there was just a lot that's happened, and things have kind of snowballed for him because from it went from that to 2019 where he had some injuries, and this year was crazy. So, yeah, I think there's just been a lot that snowballed for Chris. And I, I – you could tell in and talking to him that, you know, the, the enjoyment wasn't there all the time for him. Like it baseball felt like a chore. And I don't mean that in a way where like, he didn't want to go out and play the game, but it's just like, that's a guy who is one of the nicest dudes you ever talked to who loves life. He has a kid now, loves being married. Like that's a, just a generally good dude that looked like each day coming to the ballpark was a struggle. So then you add on top of that this criticism that he's never had because this is not a that's not a guy who's ever been the villain before. Everything's been easy for him. Yeah. Never been a villain mm-hmm. who's been to a villain. And it's like, wait a minute, where did this come from? Like I, I can't my body turned on me. I didn't turn on it. You know what I'm saying? I I didn't do anything. Right. So with all those things, I think that's a part of the Chris Bryant story that we don't talk about as much. Um and I do think media plays a role in that. I don't always think it's, with a lot of things, like, I don't think it's always local media. I think a lot of times, you know, with talking heads and national media outlets, don't get to cover these athletes every day. Like, my relationship with a lot of guys here in town is different because I cover that team. Like, I follow the team, you travel, you you build these relationships. Whereas if for national people who are talking to people on the fringe to try to get an assessment of a situation. Like they're not in that clubhouse, they're not in that locker room. So they don't necessarily have the understanding of things sometimes the way the people with boots on the ground do. 
And so that's where a lot of that noise starts to come in. And then it gets painted with a broad stroke of the media. When in fact, there's so many different subcategories of that, where it's just like the six, seven people that cover that team, that travel, that know that clubhouse and locker room inside and out. I don't think you can, that it's not usually coming from them, that noise and stuff. So I think with Chris, we're going to look back at that, but that following him getting hit in the face. I think that's where things really took a turn for him. So last season, truncated season, of course, small sample size, we saw Ian Happ pop, right? Like if you're going to be a great organization, your prospects, your prospects have to pop. Yeah, you can add via free agency, via trade. And last year in that truncated season, we saw Ian Happ become a dude. Now, with everything that they got back, four prospects that are two years away, Chicago's own Ed Howard is projected to be here, what, 2023, 24, something like that, which, you know, in my opinion, I think kind of leaks into the Javi Baez contract length and negotiations. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they can find Ed Howard a different position, but we'll get to that down the line. But you got Nico Horner. You got Alzale. You got Braylon Marquez. You got Brennan Davis. You got Miguel Amaya. Who, who might come up and be the backup to Contreras now. If Contreras does happen to get moved, it might be his show next year with David Ross to go ahead and mentor him. Who's going to be the one to pop next? Are you expecting Nico Horner to come behind Ian Happ and be the one to take that next step to solidify uh, the Cubs' pipeline and what's to come? Yeah, I think – Miguel Amaya has really balled out here in, in winter ball. Okay. And while I think he's going to be a really productive player and he's obviously the catcher of the future for them, I think he has a year in the minors left for seasoning. Like, I think they're going to start him at double A um, and just see how he does. And if he performs well, they might move him up to triple A and maybe he gets a cup of coffee in August or September. But knowing how the Cubs have operated with bringing young guys up and, and, and that – um, service time, I would be surprised if he got up this year or got called up this year. But I think that's a guy who you expect to be an impact player for you at the big league level. I think Brennan Davids has a chance to be a star here in town in the corner outfield. Uh, that's a guy you you could pencil in uh, in right field when, when Jason Nayward ultimately is no longer on the Cubs. Uh, I think the guy for me that I think is going to – you talk about being a dude – Right. Third round pick from last season out of Michigan, Jordan Ogu. This dude, you talk about dudes who are built like an Adonis. You you want to talk about your Luis Robert body types, like dudes who look like they could play any sport, just built. Right. Built like a, a strong safety, 6'3, I think 225, power, speed. Took a big step his last year in college, um, you know, hitting for big power. I think that's a guy who you talk about impact bats. You look two and a half, three years from now. You know, he hasn't had a, a, a year to, to play in the minors yet, so you don't know how that transition to wood bats is going to be. But I think that's a guy that you, you – people. I think people should circle and be like, all right, Jordan Wogu, two years from now, I want to see where that kid's at because – that could be a guy that, that changes how you look at this entire thing. Because right now, I think people are like, okay, there's no Chris Bryant in this prospect pool like right. we had a couple ago. There's no 
Javi Baez. There's no Albert Mora who ended up not turning out to be what you thought he was. But at the time, that was a guy, you know, top five prospect. Kyle Schwarber was a top five prospect. Um, the, those guys aren't there. So I think Maya and Brennan Davis are the ones that are pretty close. And then you look at that two to three year range, Jordan Nuogu is, is also in that pool. And then four years, I think Ed has a chance to, to come up and help the big league ball club. It might not be a shortstop. I think ultimately they might turn him into a second baseman. They could turn him into an outfielder because of the athleticism. But that was a guy who was the best defensive shortstop in the draft. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. there's, there's definitely a chance he stays at shortstop. But it's all right, who's is Javi still here in five years? Right. Yes. Okay. Who's playing second base in five years? Because right now it looks like Nico. But from what I've asked David Ross and Jed Hoyer a couple of weeks ago, they like the idea of him being this multi-positional everyday player. So if you want him to play second base, where he was a Gold Glove finalist this year, but also center field because you like how his athleticism plays out there, maybe there's room for him and Ed both in that lineup one day. So I think. Those things That's usually work dope. themselves out. You That's know? dope. But uh, I think those are some guys that, that people, as they look to the future, just like the Cubs are doing, these are the guys you want to watch this year as minor league ball starts back up. Your your Miguel Myers, your Brennan Davises, uh, Braylon Marquez probably gets another half season uh, or maybe a full season of seasoning down in the minor leagues. Yeah. Um, guys like that. But there, there are definitely some players in this Cubs system it might not be the big names that you had four years ago when the Cubs really made this run, but there's some quality players. And with the pool of, of players that they got from the Padres, those are guys who two, three years down the line. I know nobody really knows them now, but they could really they could really be you look back and be like, all right, they got some dudes in that trade. Yeah, I I know the uh, the divorce from Addison Russell was definitely premature from what they had laid out in their plans as an organization and things outside of, you know, on the ball field. I mean, his play on the ball field did slip, but of course there were things outside of that that led to that. But when you mentioned that they want um, Nico Horner to be this multiple position, multiple position, everyday player, that's kind of following in the, in the, the uh, footsteps of what Hobby did when Addison was at shortstop. He was that guy that could play second could play short if they wanted to give Addison a couple of days off or injury came up, and then he could play third base and give KB, you know, a day off. Or if they just wanted to move KB to the outfield for the lineup matchup against a left-hander or something like that to get Hobby's bat in there, they could play him at third, have KB at one of the corner spots. So, man, I'm all for that. And if he's going to develop the same way that Hobby develops, I think that's going to be an added bonus. I'm excited about – the NL West, right? I'm just excited about the race now because Colorado always finds a way to just be there with Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado. If they can solidify the pitching staff a little bit more, uh, the bullpen for them definitely was a pulled hamstring this year. Arizona comes up and bites you like every other year. You know, they'll have a down year. Then you don't have high expectations. Then all of a sudden they jump up and they're in the wild card race. And you talk, man, look, as I said before, before I brought you in, you know, with all the moves that A.J. Preller and uh, the aggressive organization out there in San Diego, San Diego made, and salute to them for getting pennies on the dollar, right? Taking advantage of the market, knowing that teams are selling off, 
and teams are open to selling off because they know they can't get full value back because of the financial situations of Major League Baseball at large. With all of that being said, the Dodgers are sitting there, like I said, like baby behind the door, rubbing their hands like, yeah, all right. The, my question to you, are the Reds, the Cardinals, and the Brewers sitting back watching what's happening with the Cubs and kind of feeling the same way like, oh, okay, they came back to us a little bit. Our chances have just increased. No. I never was a big believer in the Reds. They're like all the hype, I just – I was like, no, they're going to have to prove it to me. And the Cardinals have been dangling around 80 to 85 wins for the last, what? They've disappointed me the last three years, honestly. And they the, the, they took advantage of the Cubs the year they missed the playoffs. Right. But the if you look at the Reds, they were the big winner last year. They got Nick Castellanos. Mm-hmm. Their pitching was probably the best top three pitchers in the National League if you, you went by rotations. And after one year of going for it, they like, nah, bro, I'm good. I'm good. Right. <laughs> so right. you can get them out of that equation of of of, of Burman and, and rubbing their hands together like we got some cooking. I think the Cardinals still think that they can compete with the Cubs. They that's probably their biggest competition. The Brewers, you know, look, their lineup consists of the third best player in baseball in, in, in Christian Yelich. They got a stud up there in Keston Hero, a great young hitter, is not good defensively. He might be one of the worst second baseball ever yeah. seen. <laughs> But you can find you don't listen. You can find a position. You want to put him at first base. Eventually, you can do that. He's gonna hit thirty bombs. He's gonna hit two ninety. Like he's gonna hey, be fine. Hitting we might get a universal DH soon. That's that's a great one-two punch that you have there. But yeah. outside of those two guys, it's gonna be really difficult for them because they're you know they're one of those small market teams that can't. You know they were very fortunate to sign Yellis to a long-term extension. Yeah. You know they had to get creative with how they you know put that deal together to do that. But they're one of those teams that they don't sign a couple guys to minor league deals, and maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle. Some guy gets hot, has a career year, and we can put something to put a lineup together. And they probably have the best manager in the National League Central in Craig Council, who knows how to work with what he has, put things together, and ultimately they're usually going to be fighting for a spot in September. But I don't think anybody is really scared of anybody in the National League Central. And I really think it's gonna be some it's gonna be some rough baseball uh in the National League Central, especially with, with the Pirates continuing their rebuild, how long that's gonna take. Who knows? They have a couple guys who are talented, but they just traded their best player. And it sounds like they're trading one of their better pitchers, Joe Musgrove, too. So who knows what's gonna happen, but I don't think anybody is running away from with anything in this division. All right, so I'm gonna stick right there, right? Give me your top three Birdman teams that are looking at the 2021 season like we got something cooking. Okay. Uh, definitely the Padres, number one. Like they, they're the, they seem to be one of the only teams that's trying. Yeah, yeah. And you salute them for that. Like right. in this right. baseball where it's like, oh, we got to stay under the – the threshold. We don't want to pay luxury tax. We don't want to really pay anybody. Right. Young players, we get some young players. If they pop, they pop. If they don't, well, we can get extra draft picks. 
I I appreciate a team that says, you know what? No, we had our young players. We went through our rebuild. This is what you do when you want to compete. You're going to go get Blake Snell. We're going to go get you, Darvish. And we're not going to have to give our top five prospects because those days are over. Like right. the days of teams going, getting a guy for somebody's top one and two prospects in the system, that alloy, fiber stuff, those days are pretty much done. Like if right. you're not trading Mookie Betts, or or Mike Trout and look at the Mookie Betts like the 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 Dodgers didn't have to give up their top prospects for Mookie Betts no so those days are done yeah um so the Padres are are definitely on that list uh it, it might seem strange but I still a small part of me believes the White Sox are on that list despite okay. the, the foolishness of their manager search search in air quotes that seems really talented and if they get a closer and they probably will whether it's Liam Hendricks or somebody else to to close that back end along with Garrett Crochet that team like I'm I'm really excited to watch what they can do despite their manager situation part of me is scared that that has kind of messed up the chemistry like I've explained to people they built themselves up to be this team that everybody locally, nationally, we're really excited about. And then you take all that air out of the room with your manager hire, the process, the guilty plea, and all this other stuff. That's kind of messed a lot of their momentum up. But if they can pull that together and the leaders in that uh, clubhouse can can pull that team together, I think they're still a really really talented group. And the third team is the New York Mets because that's a team that is not scared to spend money right now. They just, their owners, uh, Steve Cohen, came in and said, look, here's a stack. I'm throwing it anywhere y'all want to. Y'all want George Springer? Boom, there you go. You want James Cam? Boom, here you go. Maybe we can get Trevor Bauer? Boom, there we go. So if they're going to be sp- spending money and, and Steve Cohen's going to spend the billions on on big names and free agency, that's a team that I, I think teams around the game are, are, are scared of because that's a team that's not afraid of going over the luxury tax. That's a team that's not afraid of putting long-term contracts on the table. Like, look, this is where we are. You want to come here? <laughs> do the do the, 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 uh, the should. Hey, if you don't want to worry about teams, right. service time, not paying you no contracts, not giving you no money, Come to the Mets, like that's where they are right now. So I think the New York Mets are a team to be reckoned with out there in the National League East. That's a really competitive division as well. And if if they can get George Springer in the mix and maybe one more starting pitcher, that's a team to that's going to be a team to really watch out there in the East. Yeah, that's a dope three. I agree with those top three. And uh, man, I would just have to throw in the conceited GIF right there where he turns with his cup, like. That's what it felt like when we got Tony LaRusso. It was just kind of like, and I think who the White Sox became, I think the I think Rick Hahn, the front office, and Jerry Reinsdorf knew they're talented and we're going to be good on the field. But the likability of the team. The step that Tim Anderson took forward, not just in Chicago, but as being a face for the evolution of baseball Mm -hmm. and the introduction 
of baseball taking a step forward out of the stone age to where his young people can say, yo, that's a guy we can grab and say, that's the guy we want to follow. That's the guy we want to play the game like. He's swaggy. Yeah, Mike Trout is your best player, but is he swaggy enough? Does he grab people to where they want, oh, man, that's the dude I want to be like. I want to follow him every day. Mike Trout wasn't that dude. We saw that with him winning MVPs and being the best player. But this cat, Tim Anderson, comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden wins a batting championship. All of a sudden lines that up with another great year in a truncated season and becomes this bat-flipping, swagged-out at the most important position as well. It wasn't just like he was a pitcher or first break, first baseman. When you have a shortstop, does that do? Ask the Padres. When Tatis got the shortstop, even though they had Manny Machado, it changes everything. So you're not just winning on the field. Now you're winning off the field as well. And you start to see the difference in merchandising. That's what I think shocked Jerry Reinsdorf and everybody over there on 35th and Shields more than anything. They knew they were going to be good on the field because of the moves they made. But they had no idea, no idea, the personality of Eloy, the personality of Yohan Makata, the personality of Tim Anderson. They didn't know this team would be that likable. And I don't think they thought the backlash to Tony La Russa coming in and being connected with this young squad would be what it was. At they least I don't think Jerry did. They could have had anybody they wanted. Like they, they, were the, they were the most attractive job in, in baseball. Facts. You name the person you want, hey, come interview to be a manager of the White Sox. And anybody would say, absolutely. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Yes. And they, you know, you interview Willie Harris, who's now the third base coach for the Cubs. You interview, you know, Tony, who said his press conference, he was surprised he even got a call. That right. you tell me right there, come on, man. Like, that's the dudes you want? Right. All right. We're going to see. We play a game before I let you go called balk a step off, right? So I'm going to throw something at you. If you disagree, say balk, and then tell me why you disagree. And if you agree with it, it's like, all right, step off, all right? First statement. I don't know if you saw Charlemagne the God, uh, Brilliant Idiots, recently, recent episode. He went on to say that the Drake era is over and has been for the last two to three years, and he doesn't think that Drake has another gear. Rust is the Drake era over. Balk, man. Come you got a balk at it? <laughs> balk, man. Like, this dude, Drake, is going to end up having a career that we've never seen in hip hop. Like, if you look at how many different sounds he has, how many different bags he can go into, he had a, he can go into his, I'm, I want to be Caribbean bag. He can go into his, Toronto bag. He can go to his R&B bag. He hasn't even put out a whole rap album, like an entire body work that was all rap yet. So there's so many, like the next five years of Drake could be something we've never seen before. And, and he's still, I think, one of the most, if not my most popular act in, in hip-hop today. All these people who still want a feature from Drake. Where it's just like, listen, I know if I can get this feature from Drake, if I can get that cosign, I'm taking off. So that's that's foolishness, man. Come on now. That's going to be a top five rapper of all time one day. 
Oh, facts, man. I will say this, man. Longevity and body work and catalog. Come on now. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. I do think Drake is entering OG status in the game. Man, hip hop has always been a young man's game. And everybody's time comes to an end. You can still win without being peak, whoever you are. Like mm -hmm. Michael Jordan won his last two championships. He wasn't peak Jordan anymore. He was just winning because of Gal. He knew the game. Great team. They got two more championships out of it. I think this right here, I think Drake is descending when it comes to being that dude. Radio Airplay showed it, even though he didn't even put anything out. He was still like fourth or fifth in Radio Airplay, which is amazing. Right. But I, because of the, the uh, demographic is driven by 18 to 24, yeah, I definitely think these young kids are talking about the baby, little baby, Roddy Rich. Those, yeah. those are the guys. They're up next. They're going to be pushing the airwaves, and they're going to be putting out the, the music, and those are the people whose lyrics are going to be being spit by these 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. So I think Drake is an OG. He's getting to that status. I think this project, this lover boy, I'm looking forward to this lover boy to see yeah. what vibe he brings, you know, with this project. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I think Charlemagne reached a little bit when you say the last two or three years. He yeah. doesn't have another gear. Mm, I'm not going to say that, you know, but I do think his time of being peak Drake, I do think that's coming to an end. That's just <laughs> You can still win and not be, I guess, got, like if we, if we look at Hov's career over the last 10, uh -huh. like Hov might not be putting out music as much as the guys you consider the, the guys on top at the time. But if Hov drops an album, you know it's going platinum. Like it's not even, or if Hov drops a feature or he's on somebody, he drops a verse on somebody's song, like the, the joint he did, the What's Free with me. And Rick Ross, where's like, damn, we haven't heard from Hov in a minute. And right. he drops like, you know, that's what you're gonna get. And you could be an OG and still put out great music like that. And I, I do think Drake will he'll go into that in the next five years or so. All right. Lastly, the South is better at making mac and cheese. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this to me. Uh, I had to bring it to you. I had we had this. The reason I'm bringing it to you, we had this discussion over Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm like, "Yo, at what point?" I understand that there was a great migration from the South, right? North the cities like Detroit, Chicago, Northeast, right? But at what point do you become Midwest? Like, how many generations? Like, my grandfather moved up here. My pops was born here. I was born here. So it was like, I'm a Chicago, I'm Chicago through and through. So if you ask me who makes the best mac and cheese, I've tasted both. I've been down south. I know what my mother brought to the table. I can make the comparison because my grandmother made it. My mother makes it, and now my brother is the savant of the family because he got it from my mom passed down. And I'm sitting here like, yo, I'm like uh, 3,000 at, at the Source Awards. Like, hey, the North got something to say when it comes yeah. to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We got something I'm to with, say. I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to say, say Bach because 
Okay. I was very close to saying on a technicality step off because, like you said, great migration. My folks, my dad, my pop's family, he's from born and raised here on the west side, but his parents moved up here, or they their parents moved up here from, from Mississippi. So that's where you know a lot of people, Detroit, Chicago, um, Cleveland, that's where they come from. Right. But over time, you know, we're our roots are here. In the upper Midwest, so I can't. I can't get that to them, man. I can't get that to them. all because it ain't no beef, right? But as a person who who has has gotten the recipe passed down to them and has been making it since I was sixteen years old, I, I gotta say that you know the, the North got something to say. So I'm gonna dig deeper into that for you. Okay, is it the noodle or the cheese that's most important? Cause it's nothing worse than overcook. Forget like adding the cheese. Nothing worse than overcooking the noodles. The macaroni. Yeah. Nothing the, worse. The noodle. The noodle is important. It's not. A, it's not. It's more important than people would think. Cause you're right. like, oh, I can just get whatever macaroni. Like you have to cook it to al dente. Right. The cheese you can get by on most cheese. The but, but to me the most important part is the baking process. Like that's what takes your mac from here to mm-hmm. here. Like you, I've had some great mac and cheese that was stove, like cooked on the stove. I've made some great mac and cheese that you, you know, different recipes that you make on the stove and it's creamy and stuff. That's 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 cool. Right. But from here to here, you gotta get 45, 55 in the oven, man, on 375. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's what that's what gets the cheese to meld together with the noodle. That's what gets if you use cream or if you use sour cream or if you use cream cheese, like that's what gets your binders mixing. That's what gets that bubbly, that bubbly and, and melty, melty, buttery taste. That's what gets you texture. That's a really important part part of it, whether it's, you know, that that corner of the mac and cheese that people love. That's that's what that, that gets corner you. Pieces, that corner yeah, piece. You, you, need, you need that 45, 55 in the oven. That's what's up. Now. Are you a slice dude or are you a shredded cheese dude when it comes to your Mac? Oh man, it depends how much time I got. If I'm making if I'm making the good one, you gotta you gotta shred that. You gotta shred it yourself because it is different. Yeah. Getting getting the block and, and shredding the block is a lot yeah. different than yeah. throwing the bag in and mixing that joint up. So right. I was the block is when you when you get the yeah, yeah, like they say, getting your A swing off. If I'm getting my A swing off while making a Mac, you gotta shred it on the block. Which cheese is the most important? Uh, so go right to the sharp. Sharp is sharp is very important. So the the one I made for for Christmas was sharp. It was white cheddar, mm. and then mild cheddar. So. Sharp goes into the the mix with you know the egg and your binders and stuff like that. Right. But it, it's important. That's what gives you that that rich cheesy flavor is the sharp cheese, and then you balance it out with the other cheeses that you use in your blend. We get out of this this pandemic. You, me, other N- N- NABJers here in Chicago gotta have a potluck. I'm with it because I'm, I'm the with grill it. dude. I'm the grill dude. I'm letting everybody know I'm the grill smoker dude. Let, let's listen. You, you, 
You you ain't said nothing but a word. I'm down. Gino T. Everybody, as the NABJ, we got to link up, make it happen. Big old potluck. Whatever you do best, bring it. Celebrate each other and give thanks that we made it through all of this foolishness, man. Hey, I'm with it absolutely. Hey, I'm down. my boy Russ Dorsey. You can follow him on Twitter at Russ underscore Dorsey one. Thank you so much for joining us on the Call Third Podcast, breaking it down with the Chicago Cubs, breaking it down on Balk Step Off, and definitely letting us know what's up with the mac and cheese. Like I said, the North, we got something to say. Absolutely, my man, Sean. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, man, that's it for the second episode. As I said before, you can go follow us, A2S Network, on all your streaming platforms. Put A2S Network in or according to sources, will pop right up. Mini mics as well, Podcast Network, The Call Third Podcast. We'll see you next time. We'll probably get into more about what's been done in the offseason across Major League Baseball. We appreciate you guys' support. Check us out, Mini Mike's Pod, everywhere, Twitter, Instagram. Follow us right now. For Russ Dorsey, peace out.